Hello and welcome back to Last Journey Podcast. Today I'm joined by a very special guest. Her name is Ariel Renee. She is the co-founder of Flourish Slashes. And I don't know about you, if you're not following her already, I am just obsessed with her content. I initially stumbled on her page from seeing something that my friend Shelby posted and ever since it's like every time her face pops up I just love hearing her talk she has a lot of great tips for the independent lash artist and honestly I can tell when I um, you know when I consume her content that she just has a really great business mind and I'm excited to have her on this is actually my first time meeting her too but there was a um a specific post that she posted so I'm gonna get into that a little bit later but I wanted to introduce her here and hype her up a little bit so everybody welcome Ariel how are you I'm good I'm super excited honestly like I, I when you asked me to do this I was like of course I'm so excited cool yeah so let's start you know this is obviously the last journey podcast so a big thing that I would love to know about you I don't even know the background of how you got started I know what you're doing now but if you could tell us a little bit about where you started and the journey you've taken to get where you are now yeah for sure so um it feels like honestly now thinking about it it feels like a lifetime ago but um I would say that, okay, so I was certified as a lash artist in 2016. Um, and, you know, back then it was very, uh, no one knew what lashes were. Um, so it was very much, you know, just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I honestly did it as like a side hustle. Um, I was working at Sephora. I was a, a makeup artist at Sephora and like makeup was my thing. And I was just like, you know, I'm going to be a makeup artist. This is what I'm going to do. Um, I was actually, I had a job as a product developer uh, for this company car called, um, I think it was, I think it was called Orchard. And they were uh, a product developer for a lot of big makeup products. And that was supposed to be like my dream job. And uh, I was, it, they made like Sephora Pro palette. Like they did all these like amazing things. Um, and that was supposed to be like my dream job. And then I quit after like three months. And then uh, in that time, I actually had, big step back from lashing uh, I think I had taken like a year off because it was just so hard and I was like you know what maybe makeup is the way for me to go because this is just too difficult honestly I just I just couldn't get my sets to look like other people's and I didn't understand why um so when I had that job I was like oh this is it for me and then once I left that job because I could not do it it was just so stressful and I was like this is I don't want to do this and I think that was my first inkling of like I don't want to work for somebody else because I hated that feeling of, you know, getting up early and working extremely hard, but working extremely hard for someone else's benefit. And I felt like that was just a big indication to me that maybe it wasn't for me. So um, I ended up quitting the job without a backup plan. And uh, my, well, my husband now, my boyfriend at the time um, was like, you know what, while you're looking for something else, you you already know how to do lashes. Why not just you know, pick up a couple clients while you're figuring it out. And I was like, I guess, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's not something I want to do, but sure, why not? You know, my back was against the wall. Uh, and then I did. And then uh, this time going into it, though, I had zero expectation. Like I just kind of was whatever comes of this comes of it. And if it's good, it's good. And if it's not, it's not. And then, um, yeah, I think I put the, I took the pressure out of it. And then once I did that first set back, I was like, lashes is, is it like, this is what it is. Like, I love this. Like, I just want to, I didn't think far in the future. I was just like, I need to get as many clients in as possible. Like, I just want to do this all day, all night for free. I just want you for free. I just want you to do it. 
And then um, once that kind of took off very, very quickly, um, I started to gain clientele because I was posting so much. And uh, my husband, again, he's, he's like, he's the one that tells me to do all these things. Right. And he was like, he was like, we always wanted to have something for ourselves. And he was like, well, why don't we just try a product line? And I was like, okay, <laughs> I was like, okay, like, why not? Um, and then the goal was to actually have a very specific product uh, that we got developed and everything. Actually, we like never even talked about this, but we had a product that was developed to kind of bridge the gap between makeup and lashes because so many makeup artists didn't like when lash artists came or people came in with lashes. And we created this product that never saw the light of day because we were like, let's get a product line as a backing and then we'll introduce the product. And then the product line took over. And then that was where Flourish was born. And then after that, I got into uh, lash education and training and then speaking in public all of a sudden. <laughs> and then YouTube came very early on and that kind of helped spiral everything. And then, yeah, here I am. <laughs> That's so awesome. So when did you start Flourish and how did, how did you come about with your co-founder like how did that relationship form uh it's my husband <laughs> oh oh my goodness I you yeah. know what I didn't even um I didn't even know that I was looking at your um I was looking at your page and I saw some pictures of you and another girl and I was like oh okay that's so cool yeah no it's actually my husband um we we did everything together we like from the get-go um like the product line even even when I was trying to get better as a lash artist, he was trying to figure out how I could get better as a lash artist. He was like, okay, this training looks really good. You got to figure out the wispy sets. Like you got to figure it out. Like this is it. Like, and even I remember my first, not my first, but a really bad um, complaint from a client. I was freaking out and he figured out what it was. And he was like, he was, he was like always there. So um, yeah, he's my co-founder. Um, and we started in, well, Flourish started in 2019. Nice. Oh my gosh. So what would you say, um, definitely kind of like spinning this because I'm just thinking about my husband knowing anything about lashes and it would just be a disaster. So <laughs> how did, like, how do you guys work well together? Like if somebody is wanting to go into business with somebody that's so close to them, how do you kind of separate the, um, the responsibilities there and still continue to get along inside of work and outside of work? Um, that's a really good question. Honestly, I get this a lot because I think that, but the thing is, is like when I hear people speak about this, I think that Josh and I thrive in this environment, to be honest. Like, I think that it's something that has, I guess, because we started dating when we were like 15, right? Like 15, 16. Um, so we were like high school sweethearts and then we just kind of grew together. And in that growth came business and life and like you know trying to do something more so while all our friends were it sounds so bad but like when all, while all our friends were like arguing about like stupid stuff like I don't know just dumb stuff like we weren't because we had so many other things going on and even now and I mean we got married last year so I would say that it was a long-term relationship of like being boyfriend girlfriend and then getting, getting into marriage um so, but this year hasn't really been much different in terms of us working together and uh, having a marriage. I feel like a lot of it, I mean, don't get me wrong though. Like you're going to sleep at night and you're trying to fall asleep. And he's like, so did you email him? Or did you, did you send the email? Did you do that? Like, do I need to call your assistant tomorrow? Like, and I'm like, can you please just let me know that? <laughs> 
<laughs> so like there's definitely aspects like that but I think that one thing that works for both of us specifically is that we really and truly understand the bigger picture and we understand what it takes. And I think that what happens is like so many people have this idea of wanting a relationship and wanting to get into something where you can build together because of course so many people on social media do it, but it's not easy if you guys are not like head in head in terms of the goal, the vision, um, the expectations that come with that as well. Um, I think that that could get really messy, especially if, you know, one person didn't do something right or somebody didn't do something like this. Like we never argue about that stuff. We just look for solutions. And I think that also helps on the relationship side of things. Yeah, that sounds like absolutely amazing. And you're right. It is so easy, especially being so business minded. Like I'm always having these ideas and I always need extra help. And like, why not ask my husband? But I have definitely learned that it's anything to do with that is just not his strong suit. And I would never want it to be a situation where I felt like he was working for me. So it's like, I know that it works so well in some relationships and I admire it so freaking much. Um, but yeah, I, I, I know that's not the way to go in mine, <laughs> but um, like a lot of people, <laughs> I think if you can understand that it doesn't work, then that's just as powerful. Like, I think that the idea of forcing it is where things go downhill. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I've learned it the hard way. Like, even just giving him something's like, oh, like he's really good with spreadsheets. So I'm like, oh, I have an idea for a spreadsheet. Like, let's do X, Y, Z. And like, he'll help me and everything. But I'm like, oh my gosh, what if, what if we promoted this? And then you're the one who's like inputting the stuff for the people. And it's like, yeah, no, I let him do his thing. He's like big into working with his hands, like carpentry. And, you know, we find a way to make it work too. I mean, like, I'm opening up my training facility and stuff too. And he's the one doing the work for it. So it's like we balance each other out in that sense. But um, yeah, I think that's I think that's so cool. And I love hearing that backstory. So one of the things, um, one of the posts that you did that really, really stuck out to me recently was the five things that you wish you knew before starting your lash brand. And I think for me, it stuck out because it's something that's always seemed intimidating to me. It's you know, like I love running salons. I love teaching people about business, but that whole world has always just been so mystical to me. So I would love to hear more from you. And I, you know, I've never had a, um, anybody who owns a lash brand on the show before. So I'm really, really excited to just get into that. I'm sure the listeners are too. So let's kind of start with that. So the five things that, um, you, wish you knew before you got started. And um, the first thing that I noticed that you mentioned was um, prioritizing manufacturer relationships. Can you divulge on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, I think, and this is like to kind of piggyback off that question a little bit. A lot of the questions that I get when people do ask about the product line is manufacturers, right? And I think that people always ask, um, how do you trust manufacturers? And like, how do you know you're not going to get burned, right? And I think that was something that happened to us very early on as well, is that I think at the end of the day, when you go into something like this, there is no guarantee that you're not going to get burned. Um, nobody can really sit here and say that I, I went, you know, into this, this relationship with this manufacturer. And I was like, yeah, they're going to do so well for me. And they're going to, you know, they, they make all these promises. And there is a, there is a risk involved with that, right? Um, we've gotten burned very early on. And that was the wor it's worse. I feel like when you're early on in it, because 
you feel like you can't recover from that. Um, but one thing I did learn is that when you have a deeper relationship with your manufacturers, especially when you start to realize their conversation is, and then when they communicate with you, they're very, um, they're very nice. And obviously it's because they want to build a relationship with you. And a lot of times like we're very cold and we're just like, well, we just want the product. Like there's nothing more than that. Um, but at the end of the day, you're going to run into hiccups, right? You're going to run into mishaps, whether it's on your end, whether it's on their end. Um, and the way that you're going to come out of them is honestly based on your relationship with them. Usually most manufacturers, if you, um, let's say tweezers, for instance, uh, if you're getting a specific tweezer from a certain supplier or a certain manufacturer, um, you have like a point person, right? So that, that one person is like the person you're dealing with. And, uh, you really need to nurture that relationship because that person is your voice in the manufacturer, right? Like that's the person that's going to advocate for you. So if something goes wrong, because I know early on or kind of early on, like we, I, I don't know if you've seen like our boxes are pink. And when you get those boxes from the manufacturer, you're ordering like hundreds at a time. Right. And there's a very good shot that it's not going to come out the same pink. Like that's, kind of what happens right and uh when you're obviously just kind of like you talking to this manufacturer or talking to that point person as you know just what they are then they're not really going to help you right like I think that's something that really stood out to us is that when we really did build relationships with certain people we are still working with them from 2019 to now and of course the relationship builds over time but once you start to get that block down or that wall down um you have a better flow of communication and they're more willing to be a little bit more innovative with you ideas you can throw at them you know they have their own graphic designers that they help bring back ideas to you um, when you want to get something from scratch like they're more willing to do these things right um, and that goes with anything and like I, I mentioned this too is that at the core of anything is people right and being able to understand that will help you far beyond just your manufacturer relationships yeah that's I mean, I think you you put it perfectly and it's like even if you do get burned, I love that you said it's like don't let it slow you down because it's going to happen. You just have to go into it knowing that this is most likely going to happen and you kind of have to take the L and figure out how to pivot on forward or else you're not going to make it because even if you're I'm sure, you know, five years from now, you're probably still going to hit a snag or, you know, you might be able to figure out how to pivot a little bit easier at that point. But um yeah, I think that's really cool. And then you also mentioned something about inventory control. So that to me was like, oh my God, I don't even know where I would start with that. So kind of like walk me through your process. So you you developed, you developed, uh, yeah, like start from the beginning. So you, you yeah. reached out to these manufacturers, you started to develop some products. How did that process go? And then how did that turn into, oh my gosh, I have to order so many products and actually manage them at the same time? It was, if honestly thinking back to it now, it was wild. Like it was wild in the sense that um, I knew, obviously you have your core products, right? So in my mind, I was like, well, we can't do glue. That's too crazy right now. Like that, let's not go down that road. I'm like, let's go lashes, right? I'm like, let's do that. And obviously, you know, you got to do the whole vetting process. You have to go through the, um, the, the samples, getting a ton of different samples, trying it on a ton of different people, being able to give yourself that, you know, that uh the analytics the data to make sure that you know you like what it is right at the end of the day everything that we sold at the time was solely based on me and what i liked 
Um, and I was like, it was good and it was bad in a sense, right? It was good because it really represented, you know, me and what I wanted it to kind of come out to. But then it was also kind of like, well, what about people who live in different climates? What about people who have, you know, other situations? Um, so I think like really understanding that we had to kind of expand. So expanding there first um, was great, but then the inventory control was wild. It was wild because we had zero zero anything we had no systems no we were just ordering products <laughs> we were just like <laughs> we were just like yeah like it's it's gonna work like it's it's fine <laughs> like it's gonna be fine um and then I think one of the craziest things was realizing obviously like you know you know you know this but when you order a product or you order a line of lashes it's not like you're getting you know a couple lashes you have to get every curl you have to get every length every diameter every like you know what I mean like there's so many variations so of course that ends up being like 500 lashes all of a sudden and you have nothing else right um and then understanding that even if you know 10 11 12 13 are what's selling the most that doesn't mean you can get rid of all the other lashes if you have to stock it right um and that was hard too is understanding that you have to stock it and then um the balance of 10, 11, 12, 13 being gone left, right, and center. And then figuring out like, okay, how do we, cause then there's a big turnaround time as well, right? Between your supplier and um, getting it through your door. Um, sometimes it'd be weeks, sometimes it'd be a month, two months. Like it would take, it would take time, right? Um, and by then, by the time, let's say you're completely out, by then those customers you had are now gone. They're gone to a different brand that had the lashes that they had. And I think one of the biggest things to understand is you're not, you are not catering um, B2C. So business to consumer or customer, you're, you're catering B2B, which is completely different when you're looking at it from like a business perspective, just because B2B means that people are reliant. Their business is reliant on your business, which means your responsibility level is much higher um and that used to stress me out because I was like I was like oh my god they can't they can't they, they hate us like I'm like they can't get any more supplies they said they loved it and now it's gone <laughs> and like that was so tricky um and it definitely took us some time some time to really understand how to come about a system that works and when I say a system that works it was more so understanding the importance of numbers and understanding the importance of making sure things were up to date on a regular basis. I think one thing that we used to do was just do like an inventory count, like every, I don't know, maybe like every couple months or something like that, um, which was stupid now thinking about it. Um, and we needed to do it very, very often. So until we started doing it more often um, and having that direct number, through our Shopify site because everything's done through Shopify and having the number on Shopify that was accurate. That was a problem we faced so much. I don't know why the number on, on Shopify was just never accurate. So then it would throw everything else off. Um, some will say that they, they were like, you would take lashes and you would never, <laughs> they're like, you're, you're taking lashes and you're not telling anybody and you're putting it, you're, you're using it for your clients. You're not marking it off which could have been true. And then um, being able to have that down packed was super, super helpful. Once we got the numbers on, you know, correct, and we were doing constant inventory um, uh, counts, and then being able to 
have that in Shopify, that's when we were able to keep track of things. And also understanding that we needed to have at least a two month time frame in terms of uh, turnaround for the lashes. Yeah, that's mind blowing to me. And especially because I'm sure when you first started, you probably didn't have, you know, that many sales. And how how quickly did you guys actually scale with that? And was that hard to navigate? Because it's like you get down to like one system, and you're like, okay, I need to order every like two to three weeks, I need to like put this in or whatever that order is. And now all of a sudden, like you blow up. And I'm sure that all changed, right? Well, that's the thing. It was like the first, I think the first year, year and a half was so hard because certain items would sell and then, you know, repurchasing wasn't so bad, but then other items would sell. And then that repurchase process was much longer. And then, you know, trying to keep track of like, okay, are we getting one sale a day? Are we getting like 10 a week? Like, what is that? Right. And then that was where I think that's the hardest part is that beginning phase because you have no real consistent flow. Um, and it's hard to even think about dishing out this large amount of money and having this large amount of product and even storing the product, like where's that going? And then not knowing when it's actually going to be done, right? And having that collect on the shelf. Um, I would say that, so 2019, 2020, believe it or not, we did amazing in pandemic. It was so weird. That's, I don't know. That's awesome. Yeah, it was really weird though. Like, I just don't know why, but I guess like, I guess people were searching for more products or, you know, they were more open-minded. I don't know, but uh, we actually got our first office or well, our office now in, um, in pandemic uh, because everything was running out of my mom's basement. <laughs> um, and that was, that was it. <laughs> and then that was kind of like our inventory control was in my mom's basement and shipping out of my mom's basement. Um, and then in pandemic, I think it was 2021. Um, 2021, yeah, 2021, May, we got our, our office, which houses all of our products now. Um, but we did really well, we started, but the problem was that, yes, we were doing well, like, you know, people were getting the hang of us, and every month was getting better, every month was, you know, going up, but then that was also scary, because then it's like, well, at this rate, like, what, like, what if I buy a ton of products? And things go down a little bit and it did right like we ended up projecting out and we're like okay well now we need a larger level of inventory and then um it's so weird i like never talk about this but it's so weird that so my husband and i got married last year and uh when we got married of course you've been married you know this that a wedding takes over your life right and it took over we had a large wedding and it took over my entire life and when it did, um, the business took a hit, right? Like, it's just what happens. Like, it's just what what it was because I my face is our business, right? Like being up in front of the camera, YouTube was a big part of our business. And because I was so caught up in the wedding and trying to get everything done, I couldn't be as present. And we had ordered a ton of product and then all of a sudden things were out of standstill. And we could not figure out why until after we got married. And then we're like, okay, it's because I was not there. Like I wasn't, YouTube videos weren't going up. My face wasn't on Instagram. Like it just wasn't, the flow wasn't there anymore. And, and these are things that happen, right? Like anything can, can really take a hit. So I would say that our biggest learning lesson from that though, was putting in infrastructure, putting in systems, putting in, um, a support of some sort where it isn't so reliant on me 
Yeah. What is, what does that actually look like? I was going to ask because, you know, what, what you just said about like having your face on there and it's like with brands and because there are so many out there these days, I feel like the number one thing that connects people to buying from a specific brand is connecting with that, the, the face of the brand or the CEO, the person, the, the morals that they have, what they stand for. And so, yeah, even that with my mentorship stuff, if I'm not if I'm not putting content out there, you know, of course the inquiries slow down. If I stay consistent with it, it picks up. Um, and it's just the world we live in. Look at the way that we consume, you know, we buy things too. It's like, it has to constantly be in our face for us to get it. Um, mm-hmm. And it is, it can be really tiring and taxing on business owners at time. It's nice that we have the, um, the ability to be able to turn it up when we need to and turn it down when we just can't take on the capacity, but it's definitely a very big lesson. What, what do you think is, was the, big thing was it YouTube that really helped your line kind of like take off because there are so many people out out there that I feel like are trying to start their own lines but they don't see the kind of success that you've seen necessarily so if you know what would you say were the biggest things that helped push your brand forward um YouTube a thousand percent was it, it happened blindly like I had no idea I started doing YouTube for makeup and then when I switched to doing one lash YouTube video that was it. And then I had to give up my dream of being any type of makeup artist. And I was like, this is it. It has to be lashes. Um, And then I ended up just, you know, progressing through lashes and it just, it just flowed. Now I don't, the thing that I, I think that people are so afraid of is like, oh, well that was at that time. And you know, things are different now. There's so many other YouTubers and I completely understand that, but I, I wouldn't say that it was because of the fact that my face was out there so much I think it was the information because no one knew who I was like it's not like they were going to my YouTube videos because they wanted to see me at that time like maybe now but at the time it was just because they wanted the information right it was just the fact of the, the the educational aspect and I think that that's something that can still happen today and I think that's something that um people are getting a little bit more comfortable with um, in terms of putting themselves out there on their social medias, whether it's TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. Um, but YouTube is still very, I think, in the lash niche, is still very underdeveloped. Um, and then I think now what's happening is that there's a level of expectation that people are trying to kind of flow with. And I think that what made my YouTube channel uh, like you know do so well was I genuinely was just like talking like I had no expectations like I was just like I know this let me show you like you know um and I think that it's a little bit diluted now and I think that there's like this expectation of aesthetics that has to be portrayed and yeah I get it the the quality of content is the level is the standards much higher now but I still think that we could be very authentic with the content and be very you know transparent about you know your journey and who you are and what you want for the industry and so on and so forth and it it would still convert you know what I mean yeah no I completely agree and I think that's why platforms like TikTok and stuff have really taken off because it's a lot less like doesn't have to be so perfectly curated and I know that it's a um it's definitely like a perfectionist thing of me where I'm like, oh, you know, if I'm going to show up, if I'm going to show my face, like everything has to be like great. And it's like you have to just get over that because people don't want to see the perfect. They want to see the real. And that's how people connect with people, like you said. Yeah. Um, yeah. What? So another thing that, um, you know, I think that 
we could touch on really quickly, but the third thing was investing in good copy, which I'm a huge proponent of, and imagery. So did you start off with doing that or did you kind of add an upgrade to like upgrade the quality of that later? Honestly, I will say that, and this, I think this comes from my husband more so than it comes from me. I was just kind of like, let's get the content out there. And he was very much like, no, he was like, I have a standard to uphold. Um, even when it came to, I would even say our lash boxes. So our lash trays, right now, this is something that I think is so crazy, especially because we were, we were, we were no one at the time. Like we were just starting out as a brand and um, we were actually one of the very first companies that had that fold out box for lashes. Like no, no one had, that. nobody had that. That was like, that was something that my husband literally was like, let's do this. And I was like, no, let's get the plastic tray. Like no one's doing this. This isn't a thing. And he's like, no, let's do it. Like, I'm telling you, let's do it. And then after that, I saw all these brands go down that road. And I was like, that's incredible. That's in- it's insane that you even had this thought. Like I like, but that's the thing. He's very much, um, he holds himself to a standard of content and, and, you know, aesthetic. Right. Um, so he was like, if we're doing it, we're doing it this way. And then, um, in terms of the actual content, uh, I always had an, a, a professional camera because I was doing YouTube and I was just trying to upgrade on that level. Um, so we were taking the content ourselves. Like we were doing everything in the beginning, um, but we were still doing it to a level which we felt was not so DIY, if that makes sense. Like even though we were doing the content ourselves, we still had like a level of studio lighting. We still had a level of backdrop um, and I thought, I thought it was good. <laughs> like, I thought it was cute. And then um, he was like, no, it's not. <laughs> he was like, this is not it. And I was like, okay. So um, we ended up, I would say maybe a year into it, um, which wasn't very long. Excuse me. <clears throat> he, uh, he was like, yeah, we're going to hire somebody. We're hiring someone to do the content. We're hiring, not to do the content, sorry, to do the product imagery. He was like, this is not it. Like we need professional product images specifically for our website because he's like, the site needs to look good. And I was like, okay, so no problem. Um, And then to be honest, once we took that jump into getting the professional product images, everything started to kind of upgrade a little bit, even the YouTube side of things. So once we got our office and, you know, we had even better lighting and we had a better camera and like everything started to spiral. And literally as of, I mean, like we're always trying to upgrade and we're always trying to get better. But then even as of last week, we actually finally hired our first uh, social media manager. So now we're trying to make it even better. (laughs) I was going to say, I could probably like totally go off on a tailspin on that too, because it's like, even though you're so good at it yourself and I feel like you're so great with your messaging, it is so much to handle. Oh my God. That's like two jobs. And it's... (laughs) And especially because you're doing training too. So it's like, how do you get all of that to kind of like flow together plus worry about, you know, the growth of your company and all of that stuff. The um, the analytics part that I want to talk to you about next was like something that really stuck, stuck out for me because like not only are you at the forefront of your business, but you're also on the back end too. Like you guys are doing everything yourself. So how like as you started to grow, you know, um, in that post specifically, you were like, I knew nothing about what I was getting into. You're like, I just threw myself into it. So how did you learn 
as things were growing, what markers to look for and how to like use those markers to figure out where you needed to put your effort towards next? Yeah, I think that there's so much, there's so much that goes into that, to be honest. And it's because again, like my husband and I getting into this, just because we knew what we wanted to do, we genuinely didn't know how to get there. We didn't know what to do to get there. We didn't know which pieces to move to kind of move forward. Um, And it was all really trial and error. So I would say that as we progressed, we were so like, I guess we were so wishy-washy with the numbers. Like we weren't very, um, we weren't numbers people in that sense, but we were constantly looking at the numbers and like trying to figure out these things. Um, and you know, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but you know, they say that, uh, af- like a, a typical business owner will take five years until they start, you know, actually getting some shit done. Right. And I think that that is very fair because I would say that this year, this year specifically has been our biggest growth year and not monetarily like not in terms of sales I would say I would say within us and our company in terms of making moves that really mattered so I would say that one of the things I think we struggle with and I think this comes down to us also being women I think that we are not necessarily control freaks but we also want to have a hand in everything you know you know what I'm saying like I feel like we're just very like you know I can do it. I can do this and I can do that and I can do that. And then you see someone else do it, but I can do it. It's okay. I can do it. Right. Um, And I think that that's something that I had to definitely work on. And I think that was a big factor in us moving forward. And it was like one of those pillars that made a difference specifically with YouTube. I was so adamant on my content and I was like, I have to edit the videos. Like I, I, there's no other option. And they literally had to like pry my hands off off the edits okay and I was like okay (laughs) I guess like you know and today I'm so grateful I don't have to edit another video and it's a good time okay but um I would say that when in terms of like things that grew with us I think that being able to hand things off is how you grow right um in terms of analytics specifically if Josh and I were doing absolutely everything up until today because we were I would say up until the beginning of this year um, there, we had such a problem with growth and we had such a problem um, remaining stagnant. And it was because our hands were maintenance. We were trying to maintain everything. Right. And I think that once we were able to kind of stop working within the business and was able to work on the business, we were more so able to hand things off. And then, you know what, I'm able to get, data from this person i'm able to get data from that person meaning like what are the what what's what's converting what's not converting specifically like uh one thing because i know we were talking about inventory control too is uh when we understood what was selling and what wasn't selling we have this um this application is called uh orange theory have you heard of that Mm -mm. okay so basically what it does it's like a heat map so let's say your customer's on the website and they're scrolling through, it'll show you right where they dropped off. So let's say they were interested in a specific product and maybe they added it to cart and then they saw something else they dropped off. So you could tell where the copy went wrong or where they were disengaged, right? So things like that, we were much more able to kind of 
understand once we started delegating things because now we could read more into that and actually do something about it does that make sense yes that is so cool what is your and this is like a technical question but what is your um oh my gosh where's your domain header or your 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 host for your website that has that type of you said it's an application yeah it's like a it's so everything's through shopify okay mm-hmm yeah, that is so freaking cool. I could learn about that stuff all day long, literally. Like, I'm such a nerd for that. You know what? I'm actually not. I don't. I, listen, if you put me there, I, my head will explode. Okay? Like, this is why my husband and I work so great together because he deals with all of that stuff. I know a lot of it. Like, I've dealt with a lot because him and I were doing everything. Um, but now, like today, like, I don't really do much of that because um, I'm so caught up with the other side of things. And so he takes on that stuff, but there's a ton. There's so like, I want him to be so much more involved, like on the face, because there's so much knowledge that he has on like the back end of things that he could share. And I'm just like, you could give so much more than I could. (laughs) But, but I mean, it's like your face is the one that people connect with and the one that draws them in. And that's what makes you guys work so well together is because Mm -hmm. like you have, like, like we were talking about earlier, it's like, you really do know your roles. And even just talking to you, it's like, you know what your level of genius is and you know what his level of genius is too. And it's so cool that now, like what you said about starting to delegate and, you know, no longer working in your business or you still are, but you're starting to take a little bit of a step back and starting to delegate these things that are taking so much time. Like, you know, the, um, a lot of the analytics, the social media and stuff too. And that's so cool to hear you talk about in, in this realm of things too, because that's what I preach so much on the other side of business, like with salons and everything. It's like, if you don't set up your business to run without you, you are constantly, you're never going to be able to grow. You can only hold so much. Exactly. Yeah. So what is the, um, what is the last, like the, the, the biggest thing that you wish you knew before getting started here, um, especially when it comes to your, your customers? One thing that I wish I knew, and it's something that it's crazy because like, again, drawing it back to my husband is we talk about this. Like we talk about business all all day like all day he'll just call me and we just talk about business and um one thing that I've kind of learned this year specifically is that and I think a lot of people are making this mistake is that we're so fixated on the products we're so into the product development which I get because of course you know you want to have good products but at the end of the day going into a supply line going into a business like this your job as an owner is actually marketing. Your job has very little to do with get, getting the product in. Once the product's in, the product's in. Now what? Like, you know, it, it, it's all about marketing. And if you don't have that part down packed or care to put more into it, then there's no point. Like there's, there's, there's nothing that can be done without that. And you're going to realize that, you know, once things kind of start rolling, that that is what you do all day. (laughs) Like that is literally what your entire day consists of. You're going through uh, features and benefits of products. That's all marketing. Understanding what this is going to do for somebody else. That's all marketing. How are you going to relay that message? All marketing. How does it tie into your brand awareness? How does it tie into your brand identity? Like that's your job as an owner in this 
industry. And I think like you touched on it too. And I know you said that a lot of people don't understand that. And I think that when you are a solo lash artist and you envision being a brand or having, you know, a supply line, I think that that's absolutely amazing. But I also think that there's so many more resources out there now today than there was, you know, five years ago to prepare you or to better prepare you now to get into that and understand the expectation. Because if I had known things that I know now back then, I know for sure I would have been a lot further, um, a lot faster, um, as I'm sure we can all say. But um, yeah, marketing. Marketing is is literally everything. Marketing and numbers are your entire business. <laughs> yes. And that, that goes for like just about anything. But I think with products, so much more so because again there are so many people out there and it's like what are you going to do to stand out from the crowd like what are you going to do differently what is your you know your leverage piece that's going to make people want to buy from you specifically Mm -hmm. um yeah oh my gosh it's been so great talking to you where can people find you if they want to get into your content more I know you have your YouTube page but can you tell people where to find you yeah so I have my YouTube page which is Ariel Renee, and then I have um, our Flourish Lashes page. Uh, so on Instagram, it's at Flourish Lashes, and then you can also go onto my personal. On my personal, it's at Ariella. Um, I talk a ton about this stuff, honestly. Um, yeah, so you can find me on those two pl- platforms, um, and kind of on TikTok, but not really. So let's not go there. <laughs> like, Same. Um, yeah, it's like a it's a it's a rocky situation over there. <laughs> But thank you so much. Honestly, Tiffany, this was amazing. I'm so grateful that we had this conversation just because I think that like in this industry specifically, we're so focused on the skills and techniques. And I love that you're doing things on a different level because I think that this is what the industry like truly needs. No, thank you. I appreciate that. And I cannot wait to meet you in person at Lash Boss Summit. You're speaking there too, right? Yes. Yes. So excited. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, I mean, you guys check her out. You will not be disappointed. Like I said, she's one of my favorites to watch. So thank you again. And for everyone listening, we'll see you soon.